0: Beautiful.
1: Fucking beautiful,
2: mate.
1: It's fucking beautiful, but not in Glasgow today. Hey, folks, welcome to the Unsung Podcast. I am one of your three hosts, Mark Fraser. I'm joined by Christopher Gusack. Say hi, Chris. Hi. Say hi, David. I'm David Weaver.
0: Hi, David. I'm David Weaver. Hey.
1: <laughs> uh, this is a podcast where every week we talk about albums we think are unsung classics or unsung classics in popular bands' catalogs. One or the
3: other. The remit's kind of stretchy. Yeah, it's very stretchy. Like uh, an emo kid's your lobes. (laughs) (laughs) Will they ever go back? Uh, No. I wonder, uh, you you know, all the emo kids that got their lobes stretched out Mm by plugs and then eventually just had to get the big bit of floppy goo snipped off. I wonder if you could collect together... All of the floppy ear goo that was ever caught off emo kids. Oh my god! How, bi- how big a creature could you make, <laughs> <laughs> and would it become the new singer in brand new? <laughs> oh, Jesus! <laughs> I
1: have no idea what you are talking
3: about. Brand new got a perfectly
1: legitimate singer. Had <laughs> sorry, this flopped a while ago,
3: didn't they? They split up amid uh, amid a flurry of legitimacy. I'm
1: yeah, sure. well, it's actually kind of weird because they were supposed to split up in twenty eighteen. They'd always said they were gonna, and then in twenty seventeen, this came out, and they, they just had to stop being a band.
3: It's like that thing where you just you keep telling yourself this is going to be the last time you, you shoplift because you've not been caught yet, and then eventually you just get caught shoplifting. Caught, yeah, mm-hmm. That's what the singer with brand news, like except when he's harassing women.
1: Jesse's wife is actually really active on Instagram, and you, she posts about him and her all the time, and her weight and stuff. But yeah, anyway Speaking of New York Because <laughs> they're from New York uh, Are they? Yeah It's convenient Yeah, from, from New Jersey But yeah uh, um, Speaking of New York area um, This week we're going to be doing a, a New York A record all about New York Set in New York From New York artists Cannibal Ox, Um It's called The Cold Vein Is a hip-hop album that Christopher owns Uh, But before we get into that, let's speak about albums that you also own, Chris One of the albums that you own is, I believe, a Duran Duran album It's it's not actually true, but I see where (laughs) you're going with it, so yes, Mark (laughs) (laughs) So uh, recently, last month, we started a new feature for our, our, our subs called Unsung Where we take one song that is unsung and pull it apart and talk about why it's so good uh, last month we did the uh, Boga blessings upon the throne of tyranny. <laughs> yeah, correct. And uh, this month, yesterday we've just released actually for all our lovely subscribers, "Come and Done
0: by Duran Duran. I have I have a Duran Duran album on vinyl, but it's not this one because it turns out it was from like the mid nineties somehow. Yeah, 1993, which
3: caught everybody off guard uh, Including the band Who thought they were washed up I think even they thought it was going to be nothing but legacy tours From then on in And then suddenly they they, they, they struck gold again Gold! <laughs> gold! <laughs> but... Um, yeah, if you want to hear these unsong episodes, they're really good. They're like 50 minutes long. We realised we weren't really offering any bite-sized content for people that are microwaving their dinners or doing the dishes or whatever it is. Uh, so that's what these are. Uh, but you can gain access to them and a whole load of other stuff for the, the mere sum of $2, £2 a month. $2 a month, yeah. Lowest level. Uh, anybody that cares to go above and beyond that, Uh, gets a whole host of additional benefits including some custom t-shirts at a certain level um We actually already have some unsung merchandise though, some generic but choice merchandise that is more easily recognisable so that, you know, when you're walking down the street and you want to catch somebody's eye, they'll be like, oh, you listen to this podcast too. Especially useful if you live in Moldova, Pakistan (laughs) or Chile, apparently. (laughs) Or Turkey, where we're we're charting quite heavily right now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely no use if you live in Brazil. Um... (laughs) And we have those shirts, but we have some new shirts that are coming up pretty soon where whereby what each of us chose uh an iconic album cover, and it has been modified to feature our <laughs> good selves um we're not going to tell you what they are until they become available, but so far it's going pretty well. Some say modified, some say vandalized what <laughs> <Spotting laughs> hairs really bastardized <laughs> uh. Yeah, so please whip yourself over to uh, Patreon.com forward slash Samsung Pod. That's the one And just stick a couple of bucks on us The same way I did for Italy in the Euros Because God knows i am not put money in Scotland <laughs> <laughs> It's hard enough just watching the games
1: uh, Yeah Speaking of donating $2 Like you say there Chris You've got a couple of new subs we need to shout out um, One is Mr Brian Rain Eh, uh, Ruane Ruane, Ruane He's from Ireland He really fucking He actually He actually messages on Instagram Saying I see you've been listening to Addie Shank recently And then The episode dropped And then he signed up So I was like Yeah And then he, he posted some lovely comments On Patreon That was nice And I missed Jamie Houghton Who decided that he wanted to Email us about Fan Anselmo <laughs> 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 And then subsequently uh, Found us via the Your Code Name Is Milo episode And then Also became a sub um, Yesterday so yeah, shout out to those two guys. Thanks for your Welcome. contributions. Welcome. We hope
0: you're not we're not a waste of your money.
3: Um, yeah. So you picked a hip hop album that I happen to own. Yeah. Uh, there's there's not a lot of those in the world. <laughs> there really. Uh, isn't. <laughs> so uh, some good shooting text. Uh, take us through it. Tell us a little bit about this. Okay. So this
1: is a uh, an album called The Cold Vein by the I suppose Harlem based. They're both from Harlem, but I guess they kind of the kind of. Emanate from Brooklyn, New York. Uh, the the duo Cannibal Ox, um, interesting, really interesting couple of guys. Actually, uh, I'll give you a wee bit of history on them, and feel free to jump in if you've got anything you want to add. But um, formed by uh, Vast Air and Vordo Omega. Um, these two guys met uh, and basically doing ciphers in Brooklyn and um, outside a railway station. Uh, if you don't know what a cipher is, basically it's like a circle of guys who just battle rap in the street. Uh, they met in the the late the late nineties, and they were part of a sort of loose collective called Atoms. Um,
3: I thought it was the Atom family. No, yeah. Well, they often just call it, they often just go by Atoms, but yeah. But but Atoms family works better because yeah. it's a plain Adams family. I think it's they true. deserve credit for that. Mm, you shouldn't yeah, be good it. point. Mm. Um, so I guess for novices, i.e., myself. It's actually not a million miles away from how Wu-Tang came about, is it? Yeah, exactly. So,
1: um, well, Wu-Tang obviously a collection of artists that came together and then splintered off and have come back together occasionally over the years. Blocks is kind of like that as well. Um, Ford Omega and Vast Air uh, were actually brought together by the producer LP, who is the guy who produced this record. This was actually the first record he ever produced, apart from the Company Flow album that he did beforehand, which was Fundamentals Plus. Um it's actually a cool story He's, he, uh, There's a podcast I did in April uh, Open Mike Eagles podcast Where he gives his own origin story And he talks about how this Cannibal Ox album came to be And basically what it was is um, He had uh, Fast Air and Vordo Mega Had met LP Just through the, the underground rap scene You know, um, New York was like a mecca for hip hop at that time but really popular hip hop, you had Jay Z, you know. You still had a lot of death row stuff going off, and in, in the wake of Biggie Smalls and all that, there was quite a lot of not death row. Sorry, what was it? What was it? What was it? He's death jam, yeah. Yes, yeah, so a lot of death jam stuff going off at the time, you know. It was quite a, It was a mecca for hip hop, but there was a really big underground kickback against that. Um, loads of really small indie rappers kind of going out and doing their own thing, doing battle raps, doing all that kind of shit. They came together uh, Through knowing each other Through the scene And then they, they, they used to all hang about In LP's LP's uh, apartment In Brooklyn It was a just. A two-floor duplex apartment with three bedrooms And he set up the studio in one bedroom And then basically people would come in Hundreds of art he said hundreds of artists were moving through his place Studio, just hanging out Just using this crib as a place to really just chill And, and kind of just get along with each other And it makes quite a lot of sense uh, Off the back of that, he formed Def Jux Records Which would later be renamed Definitive Jux After a, a lawsuit with Def Jam Um And the first ever thing they released was one of those 12-inch singles. It was a double A-side. It was a final company flow song. And then Iron Galaxy and Straight Off The Dick from Cannibal album The Cold Vein. That was the first thing they ever released. And that came out in 2000. Ever since then, a lot of people passed through LP's house and Death Jerk started to rise to quite a lot of prominence in the, in the indie scene. Uh, apparently, the, the story for Cannibal Ox is that if, if Megan and Vastair were just hanging out an LP's house, and he said, "You guys should work together." And they're like, "Yeah, we've been talk- thinking about it for a while." And I just started chucking about names. And he's, he he says that he suggested the name Cannibal Ox. They say that they were just thrown around words, and it kind
3: of came together as two two cool words that they really thought um, worked. And I see that uh, I read an interview uh, where I think it was Vast was saying that uh, Ox was like shorthand for a blade. Yeah, and like a, a knife and a blade, mm-hmm. yeah. And cannibal was to do with some of the patter from those kind of rap battles, ciphers, where, you know, you just ate the other person alive. And so this sort of cannibal ox idea was just sort of slamming those two things together. I mean, they did describe on the way to those battles because it was held in this kind of old train station, which I think is quite close to one of the famous train stations in in that area. But uh, people had been mugged on the way to those rap battles. Rough area Yeah
1: Um, But LP was really One that brought that together And the Cove game Was supposed to be like The big One of the big releases From Def Chucks Right It was quite soon After they started (laughs) They worked on the album For about two years um, it's interesting. I was looking on Rap Genius because it's a really good place to go f- just to kind of get a bit of a breakdown of lyrics and all that, and kind of see what people think of them and how they interpret them. And some of the some of the songs, a lot of some of the notes in it say that Or claim that a lot of the songs were improvised. But uh, it, it, LP came out and said recently that actually, for the most part, it was all written apart from a couple of places in the records, which you can actually tell where those are, and we'll talk about that when we go into it. But they would spend they basically spent two years taking a time over this album. You know, he'd be writing he was in a he said he was in a place, really productive place, where he was writing lots of beats and lots of instrumentals and, you know, um he was making stuff for himself and he was also making stuff for, for this cannibal ox record because he wanted to make something that was distinctly his, that was a sound only he could hear in his head, and he wanted to give everything, all of his heat, he said, to them to make this like great record for them. And that's really interesting because a lot of the Hallmarks of his style are still with him to this day He didn't let us run the Jewels" album And it's, you can hear that it starts writing this, this record A lot of it's still kicking around Which is really, really cool But together they kind of wrote this this, this album Apparently Va- Vast and Vordo would just go away and, Into one of the bedrooms And just like bounce off each other Bounce lyrics off each other For er- ages and ages and end They had like slang Where they were speaking shorthand to each other Asking about who's going to do what bit And what they're going to say and all that It seemed to be like a really collaborative Place that apartment, uh, and for them in particular, I mean, these are two artists who would then not go on to release something for another, another fifteen, well, another fourteen years. Fourteen years. But they did do quite a lot of stuff on their own, particularly Vast Air, who's released a bunch of solo albums.
2: You think I'm
1: There's a lot of good stuff on them as well, which we can talk a little bit
3: about. I won't go into too much detail, but there's some good songs across them. Um, what you've kind of touched on the issue of the inverted commas breakup anyway, which I think's kind of worth the spelling at this point because mm. the, the the various participants. By the way, we've not mentioned uh, Is a DJ Sip One, yeah, who, mm-hmm. who collaborates with them sort of semi regularly. Mm-hmm. But uh, the breakup thing to them was a bit of a non-issue, I think, because. As I understand it based on the way they've discussed it the the Cannibal Ox wasn't their first project they were the you know the Atoms Family was a first thing and they were working on other projects at the same time that mm. was just one sort of umbrella under which they released music it happened to be a particularly well regarded one one that kind of met with immediate acclaim but it wasn't their Be All and End All project so for them when they stopped doing stuff under that they didn't stop producing, they didn't stop creating. So it wasn't like it broke up to them. And I think viewing it in that way is maybe, you know, if you come from the world of bands, you're tempted to sort of see it like that. Oh, this band stopped working together. Oh, they started working together again. Whereas for them, they were just like, oh, well. We just, we just really. haven't been
0: in a room. We haven't just produced anything for a few years. But. Yeah, it's just
3: nothing going out under this project. Although yeah. I do know that there was like a, a various points where like friction arose, including with LP, which I'm sure you're going to get into. Um, but they, they're coming together again, 14 years later. Although they had an interim live album in 2005 as well, didn't they?
2: But <laughs> that beats rock. <laughs> I need you rock. What up, beats? see up? What's up, beats? yo. Yeah. Your, yeah. your, your, like your, mm-hmm. your fist your
3: uh, your fist but they're coming together again Was it didn't represent to them what it represents maybe to the to the outside world
1: yeah, I mean over the course of the over the course of the time between the first album and the second album because they've only released they've only released two albums, which is crazy, right um like they, they keep popping up in each other's albums. You know, Fasty has always been on a Vordel mega record for a few, time, a few times. The Vordel mega records are actually really interesting because they feature Billy Woods.
4: Got the Donatello headband and glass casket, put it in the air, kissing the sky, hailing at the world, hands up high, suicide doors is right of his prime, curling through the heart, keys in the ignition.
1: And Aesop sort of Rock, you know, and people like that. Uh, whereas Fast Air kind of went off in a different direction, but they'd always bring it back to attract me. Vast Air and they'd always reference Cannibal Ox or Cipher Unknown, you know, on on their albums. And I think it's really interesting because the, there has there's been a lot made about how acrimonious, I suppose, the breakup was between Death Jux and Cannibal Ox. In 2010, or maybe 2011, LP said after Def Jocks kind of stopped being a record label, he was like, There will never be another Cannon Blocks album produced by me, and that's just a fact. But as of, you know, when he was doing press for the RTG4 album, and obviously more recently in Open Mike Eagles podcast, he, ta- he talks about that album with a lot of love, you know, and, and the guys in Cannon Blocks are the same. They just, they've just released a vinyl for the 20th anniversary. So clearly, I don't, I think, I wonder how much is made of that because there's actually a song which produced by LP on, uh, Ford Omega's last album as well Which was released in 2008 Mega Graffiti So I wonder how much of that was maybe They didn't see eye to eye Or maybe Def Jocks didn't do right by them Because it seemed as though that was maybe a, Might have been a really cool label and stuff like that But you know It, it, it seemed to be quite fragmented towards the end And LP put it on hiatus And just started to focus on being an artist instead
3: Yeah it was it, I, I did read that it was financial The, the dispute mm-hmm. So, But I don't know too much more about it Other than that
1: But yeah, they seem to, I don't know if they're, obviously we can't really say if they're on speaking terms, but they they still talk highly of that work and that period together, you know, and they still think quite, quite well of, of that time. So I I don't know, you really, it's really hard to say what it's, what the situation or the relationship's like now. So yeah, uh, the Coven is ever since, ever since it was released, it's kind of legacy has just blossomed.
3: Was it? Was it not uh, the year it came out? Was it not voted hip hop? Uh, it was number three in the hip hop albums of the year behind Jay Z and Nas. So uh, you know, it was mm-hmm. right from the start. It was sort of like quite revered.
0: Yeah, and it came out. Yeah, same year as the Blueprint, um, and quite a few classic hip hop records. You're right, Dave. Um, it was
1: the, the, that period wasn't exactly a um, wasn't exactly desolate when it comes to great hip hop albums. You know.
3: It's interesting though Because I mean it, it, The sales of it Absolutely stink I mean okay. it's what, mm-hmm. If you know what I mean Like, like it was sitting at About 100,000 A few years ago I don't know what it is now there's been any sort of Injection of extra sales since But yeah It, it absolutely Doesn't even Register uh, Compared to The likes of Jay-Z And Nas Yeah and
1: I think you know Ever since this album The guys have went on to work With some really cool people There's uh, They work with MF Doom um, He's mm-hmm. on He's on the boy their own and
2: i'm a blood sucker i feed on the souls of the dead mcs as mega burns their scrolls i'm a pedal from an iron rose my kung fu is the iron robe i'll put you in an iron
1: um, which is their, their, their second album They've worked with all, all kinds of rappers They've, they've done, they've done stuff with Wu-Tang Clan So clearly they're they're, they're a bit legendary in the scene They've just continued to do their own things Away from Cannibal Ox They actually released a single on, on Friday
2: Life's ill, but it's iller when your mama dies She returned to the essence beyond the skies You ever been mad before? Please miss me with your bullshit I am not your
0: Single It was the first time. First time they've released anything in five years, six years. But yeah, it's, a, it's only it's about five weeks since the twentieth anniversary of this record, mm-hmm. um, and there were like yeah, quite a few sort of articles online about how it has become a legendary record, especially amongst hip hop circles. But yeah, you know, it it definitely is one like I guess maybe Ad Shank are a band's band. These guys are rappers, rappers, and it's a it's also a producer's album. It definitely didn't sell well, mm-hmm. and although there were good reviews when it came out, but there were some that didn't quite get it. Um, and I guess we'll talk about you know the actual record itself. But um, yeah, it's it's interesting to to go back to it with and realise that it is twenty years old. Because yeah, to me, it doesn't sound twenty years old at all.
1: Yeah, it really doesn't. I mean, you could argue Boy to the Roning sounds really sounds very much like two thousand and fifteen. You know, mm-hmm. and there's, there's, there's a few good songs in that as well, but yeah, this, I think it's because you know, LP did say, uh, has said, has since said that. He's always had one eye on making like a sort of timeless futuristic sound and I think all of the records he's done significant work on be it this one, be it, this, be it his own stuff, be it the Cage album that he worked on um, Hell Freezes Over I think it was um, obviously all the RTJ stuff, all sounds really fresh You know, um, I think this is probably his best production work because it's kind of both refined and raw and ragged in places as well
3: uh, mm-hmm. which we can talk about that when we come to the album, I suppose mm-hmm. um, can, we, um, can, we, can we couch it in terms of chronology Just because, I mean, these guys, as you say From Harlem And this landed four months before nine eleven. Yeah, and they were on tour when that happened, you know Huge, yeah, they were in Canada when it happened, yeah But a huge contextual shift For everything that was happening And coming out of the city at that time Um I guess it's, it's interesting reading some interviews with them because they were, you know, railing against the state in such a kind of outspoken way, uh, you know, very very critical of like the authorities and nothing too groundbreaking about that in rap. Like I think there's a there's a comment about uh, the Big Apple uh having a core of pure evil or something like that that comes from just prior to that moment, but then obviously the, the attitude in New York completely
0: changed. It became mm-hmm. one of like, solidarity and well f- well funnily enough R- you know Giuliani's name drop was dropped on this record a couple of times. Yeah talk about broken windows and all that yeah. You know Rudy yeah. Giuliani before 2011 was a Republican very hard anti-crime pro gentrification pro big business mm-hmm. uh mayor who was seen by a lot of Old school New Yorkers as you know the antithesis of everything in their city was, even though he was sort of, you know, getting the big companies in and clearing out the the, the dirt. Uh and it you know, and it's interesting to think that nine eleven turned him into a bit of a you know, a hero because he was he was a statesman for a while. America's mayor. Yeah, which is mad to think now, because he's a absolute fucking joke of a human being. But you know, nine eleven, you know, four months short of that called him evil, you know, called out a a city that, you know, was failing its population in many ways. Um, And then it's, yeah, it's really interesting. And it is important to get that context of, oh, they were just a little bit early because the population then, then came together and were sort of unified by this, you know, act of terror. You know, you look at like, you know, Beastie Boys released basically a love letter to New York a couple of years later. Hip hop sort of changed its thoughts on the city, and it was you know it was a much more positive thing after that. So, I th- yeah, just interesting. Yeah, Mark mentioned uh, broken windows from the lyrics. Are just uh,
3: it's it's a really interesting concept in terms of putting yourself in, in the in the mindset of people who lived in New York at the time. It's like a, a sort of sociology, criminology, I don't know what, policy proposal by two guys, a guy called James Wilson and a guy called George Kelling. And it was really, it was put forward in like the early 1980s and then slowly implemented. And New York had a terrible, terrible crime wave at the time. And the thing is, Broken windows, on one hand, was terrible for civil liberties, especially for minority communities because it involved... You know, the whole concept in a nutshell was that, you know, if you if you stamp down on the small crimes, broken windows, graffiti, these kind of things, you ultimately help pull away the supports from the bigger crimes, the people that go on to commit bigger crimes and things like that. But obviously the implications for that are that minor crimes get absolutely hammered, you know, the three strikes, drug rules and things like that. But at the same time the the awkward part of that conversation is that the crime rate did start to plummet and so Giuliani as much as he was despised by a lot of people um he also was revered by a lot of people certainly mm. during that time because the the living standards and safety and all these kind of st- various statistics did start to trend in the right direction um, and, you know, for example he definitely had things like the police force on his side as a result of that as well because they felt empowered under him so it's, it's a complex picture it's a nuanced picture, you can see why some communities had a real animosity towards him, even though when you actually just look at the numbers on the page, it's like it's actually like, oh shit, so that did actually do something, but it came at a, at a really big cost, obviously Yeah, I mean, uh, I think
1: they're obviously their whole view in it and and their lives. They talk about it on on the album. I think one of the key messages of this whole record is that um, using art to overcome. And they talk about that in a lot of songs. You know, even even some of the narratives kind of go deep into this idea of it could have been so much easier for them just to fall into worse habits. But art or I suppose hip hop was the way of getting out of that
3: i mean lp lp had a three-bedroom two-story apartment in brooklyn yes yeah, actually it's quite funny he was quite, doing all
1: right <laughs> it's quite funny what he says in that podcast he's like yeah uh, he's like i realize now that uh, when i look back in that period in time that uh, i was actually paying like really very little rent for what is now what would now be a very expensive apartment he was paying he was paying a thousand dollars a month for that in fucking brooklyn right that's like crazy it would not be anywhere near that now you're lucky if you get a thousand pound a
3: month for a decent two bedroom flat in Glasgow for rent. You know what I mean? So see, see that that kind of um, more sombre undercurrent around about the time the Cold Vein came out, being that it was just prior to 911. I saw a really interesting description of it by Vast uh, when he referred to Cold Vein, the first album, uh, as their blue pill. Whereas the second album, which you mentioned, Blade of the Ronin, was, in his words, The Red Pill. You know, and this is obviously a Matrix analogy, but it's also an analogy that's very synonymous with the the alt-right and QAnon and all these kind of things. But, you know, long story short, The Blue Pill being grim reality, The Red Pill being fantasy. And you can really see that Cold Vein does seem really, very grounded In terms of art, in terms of you know Aesthetic um, Blade of the Ronin is a bit more of a flight Of fancy Flame,
2: flame on, I spit the high fire with Dylon, and stay inside the line With crayons, my whole aura Is neon, ultraviolet Come out your mouth, I might get Ultraviolet Now it's so quiet
3: I guess even just artwork, you know, one's blue and one's red, I, doubt, I don't know if that was actually intentional, I doubt it, because uh, that concept wasn't really s- solidified at that point, but yeah, it's it's interesting to see the contrast between the two albums, um, I mean, I, actually, I, I thought the Blade of the Ronin record was kind of interesting listening, it. it does okay in things like Metacritic, and um, <laughs> there was a, an interesting review of it in Pitchfork, which far be it for me to give Pitchfork credit but the the writer described them as uh, the album sounding like the band were trapped in a diorama uh, with only a quote, handful of connections to the outside world, you know, saying that they were very much using that record in contrast to to Cold Vane, the one you've chosen, they were using Blade of the Ronin to sort of indulge in some fantasising and I think that's quite interesting because it's it's quite different lyrically you know, just in terms of perspective
1: it's quite a shift yeah i mean sonically as well it sounds a lot more traditionally hip-hop or what we would come to understand as being traditionally hip-hop which is why I, when i said earlier on it actually sounds dated in its time whereas the cold vein doesn't really but i mean the, the paranoia of the cold vein is that you know the lp is a paranoid person because he smokes a fucking powder weed and he's always had that kind of vibe about <laughs>
3: But, um, well, we have to mention Bill Cosmic then, the guy who produced uh, Blade of the Ronin, because he got criticised for that. It it was said to be just a little bit too dark, too washed with synths, that the drums didn't snap and pop the way they did uh, on the debut. I just bought a new toy
0: fresh out the box nice stock
4: no barrel smell.
1: fresh it in the car straight off the lot mong up and get beat down now they getting popped niggas don't fight cuz so, my clip keep round feel it is it down it down don't right it's like you you wanted you can't work with you can't work with that guy anymore but what is what is our sound of everyone done one album where where do we go next and do we mm-hmm. indulge some of our do we some of yeah, th- our yeah i think
0: it's really harsh to criticize it for not sounding like the first record or you know um like the drums aren't as good or whatever. Is you've got to be different and especially when you're a producer and you're like oh fuck I've got to stand up to one of the, you know, most critically lauded legendary productions of all time. What the fuck do I do? Hmm. Um and in terms of the sound, I don't think he does a lot wrong cuz I think it's actually a good sounding record. Yeah. Um I, I just think it 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 lags a bit in the middle. It's a bit long. There's maybe just not as much there's not as many sort of lyrical hooks in it But oh, I mean it's still a solid record And I, I I wouldn't ever say that it sounds bad It's weird that it feels longer Even though it's shorter than the Cold Fame. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: um, I, I, I agree. I don't think I don't think it's bad. Um, it's a bit less punchy, uh, but I mean, fourteen years after the fact, it's still really worthwhile. I think one of the things about it—the criticism that it's quite synth-heavy—is true. If that indeed is a criticism, I think for folks like us, that's maybe not necessarily a criticism, because I quite like, you know. I have more time, shall we say, for hip hop, where there's a bit more instrumentation going on. It's not quite mm-hmm. so sparse. Uh, the vocals in all of the Cannibal Ox stuff is much more sunk into the into the music, and that maybe that just doesn't work for a lot of people. I do get it that some of the beats in it are a bit dead, a wee bit flat. I mean, the, the, the fourth is it the fourth track in it? The Power Cosmic, the one that's named it refers to the and producer.
2: Islamic
0: doctrines
2: Wrench of John Hopkins Run with goons from Marcy Summer and Tompkins Best shove off
0: Before you get dust off I'm in control Like pulling out before I bust off
3: mm-hmm. yeah. um, I, th- I think it's quite a memorable tune The female vocal in that And the, s- the use of the strings Makes it, you know, pretty pretty hooky And there's a kind of like Kind of crunchy sort of guitar thing That just resonates every so often in that tune Um Blade, the, uh, Blade the art of Ox it has a really retro feel to it. it kind of goes back to the first one a bit. Yeah, sounds good. Yeah, Carnivorous is really dark and stompy.
4: On the island of crime. Licking my paws, before me, the remains of cartilage on the forest floor. Watching honey sit on the horse and move with adrenaline and
3: force. Um, as you say, it's it's not Like, it's not mind-blowing I don't think they'd have had the kind of cult status they do If this had been their first album But it's it's big shoes to fill uh, Also, I noticed with the name Blade of the Ronin the, the thinking behind that apparently Was because, you know, a ronin is a samurai That no longer has an allegiance mm-hmm. to any master That the samurai has freedom to make His own decisions And they felt that way, you know Liberated to some extent from Expectations and from their label and from their previous relationships, previous producer, all this kind of thing.
1: I really like it, Iron Rose, but that's that's poor because MF Doom's on it as well, and he brings his signature flow to it, and it really does feel about MF Doomy, um, mm. even production-wise as well. Uh, they, they released um, before that. They released like a a, a super single, <laughs> Gotham, <laughs> which is which, which was like uh, three songs. Which so then they released an LP, an LP version, which was a whole bunch of outtakes and like weird stuff that had never had never really found a home before. All of those songs that make it onto the Blade of the own and I really like Gotham, Box City. Again, fantasy, right? You know they're kind of going back to they, it. They make reference to Batman and the Cold Vein as well. Vast Air does, but you know I, I like that. It's cool that they don't really take it too seriously, but they still kind of see the the narrative and fantastical perception of New York City.
3: Yeah, I mean, we should probably mention as well, like, like Batman is quite a, an appropriate superhero reference for them because there is something about Cannablox. It's just a little bit more melancholy than a lot of their hip-hop peers. There, there's, like, a darkness. I mean, the, the, the use, or the, the quite significant use of synth in a lot of their material sort of lends itself to that. There's something a bit more operatic and, you know, theatrical and cinematics would be a better word. Um, but they have just some... A little bit more melancholy about them in general, I think. Yeah,
1: yeah I think they, they they spend a lot of time ruminating on on the nature, basically, on the nature of New York City itself and as a place. And I don't think the particular, although they obviously had a little reaction, that quite a big reaction when nine eleven happened. I think it's they still look upon it as being slightly disparaging towards it. I think.
0: I guess anybody that. Critically um, Evaluates Their own home They're going to see You know The emotional attachment to it But beyond that Any city has its uh, Yeah Flaws And they definitely Like to study New York's flaws mm-hmm. uh, So Shall we talk about the album?
3: Let's Yeah let's, Go for it uh, Can I give the album Just some quick props By the way As we noted It, it dropped Just a few months Prior to nine eleven, And in the original 12-inch uh, Double LP pressing The cover has two figures running down a street with the sky on fire and a bunch of the buildings crumbling to ash. It's quite, it's quite uh, weirdly prescient. Um, I'd, I'd assume that the decision not to replicate that cover had something to do with nine eleven. Yeah, they repressed it. I
1: imagine so. Um, I often find by hip hop albums that they're fucking sometimes too long. <laughs> That's a so long album. This is this Absolutely. album's seventy odd minutes long. Seventy six minutes
0: long, I think it is. Um, seventy, yeah, seventy three at least. And considering the type of album it is, uh, it's underground hip hop. It's very introspective. It's quite melancholy. It's like a perfect record for maybe smoking a little doobie and <laughs> and uh, and either just thinking about humanity or playing a game on the, the computer. Uh, and it it works really well as background music for seventy six minutes, but um, for seventy six minutes as an in depth study, it yeah. is a little bit stretched or not stretched. It's just fucking dense and long. It's you know. Even if you w- you wouldn't necessarily go, oh, I'm, I'm going to take out th- this twenty minutes. <laughs> um,
1: I, I mean, I don't. Th- I mean, I think there are probably a couple of songs on this that that maybe could, could, <laughs> get, could get taken off it. I think it's a piece of work. It, it it hangs together really well. You know, it's a, a singular statement, and it's not completely perfect, but it's you near close. I think. Um, whole thing kicks off with Iron Galaxy. LP's always said that Philip K. Dick's been a big inspiration in this production and you can definitely hear it straight from the off. It sounds Blade Runner-y. I know he didn't write Blade Runner, he wrote Dando's Dream of Electric Sheep, but it's the same kind of vibe, right? Um, straight away you can hear LP's signature style bottom right in. The really compressed kit. You know, all the played keys he usually does. Ford Omega's right on right on it with some really great shit. Um, I, I love Vastia's intro. Um, I like the way the beat sort of lumbers along. And then he just pops in with a big Vangelous synth almost feels like horns on it. Um but the flows together I think are just are just really great in this song. You can only really tell they'd work this yep. down, you know. C D
4: CD, plus the table, so wet that fuck the face that's love to play, Jetback to Santa Cruz, California, I hate Piece of Seagard, locked up, cat born, nonway, come home, as soon, live ill my face, it's like little black
3: girl guy.
1: I think if you're working together with another rapper, then you really want to be uh, focusing on getting your flow as, as good as possible. And I think given that they took two years to get this nailed, then you can kind of see that the whole way that album works together.
0: Well, I mean, both their voices and their flows work really well together. I think, and and indeed, do their do their lyrics they they bounce off each other really really well lyrically. Um, but I re- I just really like both their voices and they they just bring two different slightly sonic palettes to it as well and it works really well.
1: Yeah, I find like Vast is probably the more extroverted of them both. He seems to he seems to do mm-hmm. quite quite a lot of of the heavy, the heavy lifting on it. Fort Omega definitely is
3: very introverted and his rhymes reflect yeah. that as well. Um, can we play a wee bit of musical dominoes? Because I mean, there's a there's a couple of nice ARP things in this, but there's also a weird pitched sort of time compressed uh, little loop that sounds very much like something from the ABC Shank album. That just <laughs> that, that just comes in and out of the mix. And it's like,
2: yeah.
3: Quite a nice coincidence. I really love the I really
1: love the line "You were still born, baby. Your mother didn't want you, but you were still born." Like, it's just that's some straight up battle rap shit, you know, just like talking shit about your friends. One of the things that I think is often overlooked in this album, and and there's there's a lot of funny lines on it, and LP does that as well.
3: Yeah, I think I think this song with with the prevalence of you know the kind of sci fi edge that it has sets the tone quite nicely because it is a really as hip hop goes, even as a you know a total newbie, it's like. It's quite a psychedelic record. There's, there's a lot of trippy and modulated synthy stuff going on throughout. And so this one mm-hmm. m- kind of sets its stall out well from the off. Mm-hmm. That,
1: that's actually one thing I want like to say about it as well. Is that one of the overarching themes that they've always said is like it's about the ghost and the machine. They make a lot of references in this to not being human anymore and to kind of being more machine than yep. man. And the, the sci fi backdrop really, really, really
0: helps with it. Well, it's funny enough. It, I think that really captures that sort of end of the '90s American, you know, end of history thing. Um, d- you know, pre 9 nine eleven, people didn't really know what the fuck was going on. Everybody was dead inside. There was nothing to do. You know, there was no spiritual goal, <laughs> and that it, I think this album captures it. The next song's Ox Out the
1: Cage." It has the LP in the first verse. Oh, oh, God, God, God. God. One of one of two of his actual uh, s- uh, sort of rapped moments in this album. He's the first person to drop the cipher unknown lyric, which is a recurring theme mm-hmm. throughout all of all of their uh, all of our output. Do you know? Do you guys know what that means? So the word cipher is represented by the letter O in the supreme alphabet of the nation of the gods and earths, which is uh, something that was created by a five percent nation, which was is an Islamic cultural movement. That We've came about.
3: spoken about this
1: before, yeah. yeah we were in uh-huh. a, a heavy so, good
3: nexus, one yep. too.
1: Yeah, so it uh, th- comes from that. Basically, the word the um, the word cipher uh, is for C and X is unknown, so uh, C O. Cipher on for cipher unknown kind of blocks. It's pretty cool. Um, Vast airports right in after LP, and I, I love the way kind of plays off them. Mm-hmm. They make a really good team. They all make a good team in this song, um, especially when Vortol Omega comes right back in. He's just on fire. I mean, yeah, he's amazing on this. The beat is fucking huge, man, and he just sounds like he's totally on it. Um, Apparently, this is one of the only places in the mo- on the on the album where he improvised the entire verse because it ends with him saying, "I don't have an end piece." Yeah. And then LP says, "That's hot." <laughs> um, but this is another one of those kind of shit talking songs. You know, it's not necessarily supposed to be taken seriously. It's just three MCs having fun and seeing what they can come up with from the top of their head. Um, and it was actually when I first heard this, I heard this after I would listened to quite a lot of things like Aesop Rock and Sage Francis and all that, and a lot of that comes from here. Not not saying this particular song, but from this album, you know a lot of indie rappers would then go on to like copy both like not together, in one song, but they copy a lot of the styles of Fast Eddie Omega had. You know your your atmosphere. You know,
0: and you can see that on some of the albums that we've covered, that either mm, you definitely. and I, you or I have brought to the table. So you know, like Open Mike Eagle, Pos, uh, even Emmett, Billy Woods. yeah, Billy Woods as well. Um, like you can tell that they've taken bits of you know uh and vast flows um you can like get that sort of lyrical seriousness but sense of humor as well and uh and also the production as well i mean we'll go back to that but um yeah it's really interesting that this this is a very influential album not just on hip-hop but on the hip-hop that we listen to (laughs) and cover on this podcast (laughs) The next song is Atom Which, see the
1: beat, the production, the staccato synths, the vocal sample that lead synth coming down the right channel All of it is just pure brilliant It's just signature LP
2: It's
1: kind of got those aching chords underneath Which is like horns which he does quite a lot across all of his, all of his oeuvre. Um, and it's it's kind of cool to hear that all the way back then. It's mm-hmm. still so something that he kind of does now. This is an Atoms family track, right? So obviously these guys were still pals. It's got Alaska from the Atoms family on it, and he hits the first verse. And I think he's not too bad, but it's kind of when vast air pops in, that's like the real good stuff, man. Um, I love a lot of his, his rhymes on this, particularly when he says, some say I touch hearts like Kano." was uh, f- Fatality in Mortal Kombat was ripping someone's heart out of their <laughs> chest <laughs> which is quite good um, and he talks about like being the ghost in the machine some write with words I write with metal my soul is rushed free and my rap stayed dusty like I'm still old school as fuck even
3: though I'm made of metal the, it's weird that it's, this song's kind of got a bit of an anti-hook in the sense that that kind of wee escalating tritone Loop is the mm-hmm. thing that sort of defines it. Yeah, it's quite a yeah. dissonant and unpleasant little loop, but it becomes mm. sort of it it burns its way into your psyche.
1: LP's great at that he brings in Discord and stuff all the time across all of the stuff he does to make it a hook even though it's hard to listen to I guess in isolation um, Ford, Omega's got, Ford Omega's got a nice Batman reference as well Bruce in the boot talking about how he's Bruce in his blue suit which is quite cool um, it's one of my favourite lines of his actually um, a b-boys alpha is my favourite song
3: on the album <laughs> it's because it's of the opening line <laughs>
2: My mother said you sucked my pussy when you came out Don't ever draw back, I handed your life and I'll snatch it back I'm just a latchkey kid with a snotty nose High school dropout space, I'm around me, out, And I ain't dealing with no minimum wage
3: <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> it's, fucking, it's, it's so funny it's, it's a fucking brutal opening line I'm, I'm going to cut it in so I'm not saying it
0: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's actually something that I've wanted to maybe avoid on this like I, I, There's just so many lines I want to quote From this album But I really My voice and ethnicity Don't suit any of these <laughs> words So yeah Chris If you can just drop as many lines in as possible When we're talking about them
1: uh, The narrative of this song is like a b-boy coming up And how hip-hop enters his lives And, and, and kind of helps him change his life And life of the people around him I think that's pretty cool um, It's a really well written song lyrically And it's got a lot of really funny and insightful lines Um, I particularly like when Fordo's talking about stealing Marvel Comics and water guns Then wondering if the cops will shoot them just because they're cutting about with water guns And that's when he talks
3: about the broken windows policy and all that That's uh, Um, that's going to become relevant later on Uh, Musically I think the drums really slap in this tune It's got some really good tones in it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It's also got a really nice sustained organ effect that kind of maintains a
0: bit of tension throughout. Uh, also, which this is something like, I think POS uses on <laughs> "Never Better" is that sort of drone effect. Mm-hmm. And uh, the vocals in this
3: one are a, a good example of them sitting a little bit lower in the mix. You know, just rejecting some of the kind of hip hop norms and making it more of an instrumental. You know, engulfing experiences. It's, it's, it's well arranged. I like, the, I like the scratching towards
1: the end as well. It kind of brings it back to the old school. I don't think LP fucks much with that across his career. That must have been a proper Can decision, but it really works, I think. Um, it, it, it's a wee nod to the past when they're clearly doing something which is quite futuristic because one of the articles that I read earlier on about this was saying that nobody quite knew which direction hip-hop was going to go at this point. You know, Like I said, there was that kickback against commerciality mm-hmm. and these guys kind of accidentally almost set the blueprint for a lot of indie hip hop for the next I guess 20 years. Um next song is Raspberry Fuels which apparently the title is a, di- a direct reference to Strawberry Fields Forever according to some people even though it sounds not like it.
2: Either you like the carnation or the smell of carnations the same is the flesh and the meat the skeleton. You got beef for miss worms in the Wellington. I'll put a hole in your skull and extract the skeleton. Oh
1: <laughs> it could just be rap genius bullshit, I don't know
3: <laughs>
1: um, The beat in this song's really cool actually uh, That recurring keyboard thing, I think that's a sample from Brian Eno
0: Yeah, this is, it's got like three or four Brian Eno samples in this tune hmm. So um, LP going deep on his vinyl there uh, The samples, the, the
1: flesh and the beat is a skeleton You've got beef put those worms around Wellington Which is just a really good bit of funny wordplay But then he fucks it up Because he's clearly improvised that part And he's like, oh shit, I've just said the same word twice (laughs) (laughs) Like self-editing as he's doing it You know, it's a nice little little bit of humanity In in, in the song
3: The the vocals in this one really pop It's got a lot of energy to it Uh, I also think the dropout is used really well in it
1: Yeah I was going to say that um, He kind of chops He chops up the vocal At the end And then changes The entire palette Of the song mm-hmm. Just for like this This like It was like Four or five bars Six bars maybe And then he just Comes back in With Vordel Omega Right back on it His contribution's Quite bizarre in this I think Just talking about Skating with a bong goose And drinking frozen bong juice <laughs> Smoking bubble gum <laughs> It's quite psychedelic Maybe that's where The Beatles reference Came from actually Now I think about it Um Straight off the DIC is the hotly contested what this actually means. <laughs>
2: <laughs> All you, is and you don't know the alphabet, but you still talking. Well I got a blade too. And I know it's sharp enough to
1: cut Um it's not actually clear what it stands for. Um some people say it's from the the, the same Supreme Alphabet that they took Cypher Unknown from. Mm-hmm. So it could mean Divine I See, which means like um, they're directly influenced by God or they are gods of the rap game. Um, but it can also mean like straight off the dome and it's icy because it's the cold vein and they talk about uh, people freezing in New York in this song. So there's some theories of, still about why it's
3: called that. Could be Dick. <laughs>
1: Yeah, Unlikely though Given what the song's
0: about <laughs> uh, But that's the It's the first Philip Glass sample Of the record Because it finishes On a few With "Unscream uh, Phoenix But um, Yeah I mean Really stretching Where they're uh, Getting the samples from yeah, LP
1: talks about that In the interviews Like it, it, he was He was really happy To make an album Where people weren't like What the fuck is that sample Why have you got that Fucking Philip Glass sample In there It sounds dead weird yeah. He was like Nah I'm bringing in My best fucking records yeah, you know, totally. I'm making, re- <laughs> making beats Out of them and, and sampling them And then giving them To these guys Who are going to make A fucking amazing album And it really does work yeah. um, I think this is Kind of a diss track In some ways Like Vast, Vast has got quite a lot Of diss, songs, uh, diss lyrics in it I like, says him tongue Because he's so good Whereas Vordals is all about like Painting a vivid picture of violence in, the N- in NYC And what people need to do to survive
3: I think this, uh, this song Worked the best for me uh, I mean it's obviously got a very straight ahead Tempo, the drums snap There's some kind of mildly sinister kind of Fluctuating synths in it But um, mm. there's, a, there's a really nice Motif with some off time synth chords That play underneath it, the timing and, and the arrangement of that is really clever <laughs> the chorus quite, quite interesting And also, uh, towards the end It's got a motif that's sort of like an Evil cousin of the song No Diggity um, <laughs> Did you not notice this? It's at the end of every fourth verse bar uh, Around about halfway through And I, I don't know if it's like a little nod To uh, Blackstreet Yeah, Blackstreet, that's it, yeah, Blackstreet
1: The next song is Vain And um, the Production of this is actually quite akin to what LP's been doing more recently. The way he's chopped up the beats, the slightly discordant piano, the sort of staccato stints, that kind of robotic feel that kind of comes from it as a whole.
3: Yeah,
0: it
1: feels like a break
0: in the record. The
4: logic reason just being so obedient laws and Lost in this I'm just another face that's facing All types of like stereotypes no, and hatred But I ain't gonna
0: wet, 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 And it may be, you know, on such a long record You maybe do need a little breather But for me it also feels like a track That you could probably do without for me It just, it kind of breaks the flow of it But
1: I like a lot of lyrics in it Like Fordo talks about the drug problems in the ghetto And talks about how everyone's trapped Like they're in the Matrix mm. This was actually the lead single on the album Play it or not um,
0: Yeah, which is weird for something that's so Wonky
1: The bit when Vast was talking about Like how when he encounters Like that that Sort of 12 year old kid Like toting a gun And telling him who sold him it Asking him who sold him it And Carlos the budget (laughs) And it just like Devolved into violence It's It's quite a stark photo uh, Quite a stark sort of image Of of New York I think Of Harlem Probably at that time Um, I like I really like the F word Yo it wasn't even like
2: that I wanted my cardiovascular To fight back Cupid had me running circles Blindfolded in the daytime With a flashlight Looking for her Yo, sit back, relax And smell the roses. Smell the girl,
1: This could very well be one of the first songs about the friend zone in any hip-hop music <laughs> 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 um, Would that really fly these days? Fuck, who knows, man um, I think it's quite cool to hear it, though Because um, a lot of hip-hop particularly the mainstream stuff is all about, like, hoes, you know and bitches and stuff and these guys are like, well this is not <laughs> this is not what this is like this is like
3: unrequited love. Um the, there's like a there's a spate of songs around about this middle section of the album where they really go in and hard on the squelchy bass. Like Vane has a really squelchy, oh, yeah. squelchy bass in it. The F word has a slightly raspier, squelchy bass. Um there's a couple coming up as well. it, it seems like that becomes a little bit of a, a thing. They discovered some really nice settings or somebody <laughs> arrived in the studio with a really cool but I can't. There's a really cool
1: hook here Which is given to Vordo Because
3: he's got the smoother
1: voice So it really works that he's the one doing that He's kind of more laid back And fast is a lot more aggressive So it kind of really works I think there's just some really great lines in this song as well You think you can fit me in that anorexic, anorexic space Between love and hate mm. and all that it's, There's some really cool Cupid had me running in circles in the daytime With a flashlight looking for her Like, <laughs> yeah. It's just so so clever man that's a really I, I love that song a lot, man. I also really like stress rap because it actually feels stressed out.
4: Selling crack by the bottles, yo, these might hunt you like a cat in the jungle, saying lines will come to Make your whole team crumble. What the fuck made you fumble in the streets where they fuck you like the face of a demon. I was bit mm. every feeling, trapped in the eating, starve and never eating, yo, I stay bleeding
1: And it feels like they're like on the edge of like about to
3: like just freak out, man. Um, there's there's only really three songs in this album that I would quite comfortably get rid of, and this is stress raps one of them. The other one is the second track. I don't I don't really like that at all. Um, and painkillers towards the end. Uh, none of those three do, and for me, really.
1: Yeah, I would probably agree with painkillers. I've actually written that as well. I would probably take that one off the record. Mm-hmm. I actually also thought I'd, I'd actually also I don't really like Ridiculoid that much. I know it's cell piece song um, He says in there That it was supposed to be On his album But he later confirmed In an interview that, that he did in April That, that he, was just, he was just Fucking around
3: And it, it was actually Supposed to be on this record The whole time Yeah you know, it's kind of got A gang chant And it's like Super retro that tune It sounds a wee bit Out of place I really like Battle for Asgard though I was there
4: when it all First
3: Know when I land spot, blowing, throwing It's just pure ridiculous fantasy. Is that a, is that a kinks sample from Sunny Afternoon? you all on the cause off the
1: That. Doom, 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 Oh, I've yeah. actually, I've actually written here. What is that
3: sample? I think, <laughs> I, can't, I, I can't think it's, it. <laughs> I think it's from Sunny Afternoon. I think it is. I don't know for sure.
0: Um, I think maybe right. Yeah. It doesn't say on um, WhoSampled. dot com. It's got Tambura by Ramsey Lewis and Astronaut's Nightbear by Nectar. So we'll have to check them out.
3: But if it's not a sample, it feels like a nod. A bit like I said about that bit. That it sounds like a nod to No diggity It feels, mm. feels like a sort of reference. Yep. Wink. Um, the beats the, and the brass in this are really high impact and, and mm. nasty, and there's a really, uh, really kind of effective slow filter and synth backdrop in it.
1: Yeah, like they have the kind of evolving keyboard chords that kind of play throughout it. Yeah, it's yeah. really clever. Really good production. That. Yeah, good movement. I just really like that image of, like, these, these four rappers, like, standing in, in, the, in, in, the, in Aesir, the Pantheon and the North Gods, about to throw down some battle raps. I think that's quite a funny image. <laughs> if you're 12. <laughs> uh, it's clear, well, one of the things that's interesting, I think, that we haven't mentioned is, is clearly, it's clearly these two guys are total geeks as well. They reference comics <laughs> all the fucking time. Um,
0: and yeah, it's quite MF to Me actually. Yeah. Um, remind me of that, but, like less into the, the, the colourful superheroes and just into, well, I don't know the gothy ones <laughs> um, I feel like by the time they get to uh, Real
3: Earth, they're slightly over-egging the space synth <laughs> at this point That I just felt like that was a little bit like, ah, oh, okay, they're doing, the, doing that again, it's not it's not a bad song and like the, the beat snaps in it as well, it's got decent samples um, it also has a sort of like funky, evil twin to Stevie Wonder baseline, it's it's, it's quite mm-hmm. strange but yeah, I, I don't know I, I feel like the the album does sag a bit here because as we said, like you don't like Ridiculide much um, I'm, I don't like Painkillers, neither of us like Painkillers um, I think this is where the record starts to get over long for me Well
1: I, I would like to say about Real Earth that I think the note air in space is quite a good pun I <laughs> um, actually quite like production on it but yeah you're right, he really does double down on the sci-fi synth vibe and yeah Really underlining the whole Supposed to be in space thing also kind of weird That Ford Omega isn't on that song mm. It's just fast air um, But that brings us to Pigeon Which I think is One of the most really in- Introspective and intense songs It's actually quite difficult
3: To make out the meaning of it I think Can we point uh, out that This band are slightly Fixated on birds
2: jaws, that For fish pigs, you'll get tossed in the flames And some archaeologists Are finding the
3: It's just all through loads of their stuff like it's through mm. it's through this record but then it's in loads of the later stuff as well
1: yeah I think the, the imagery in this song for me kind of conjures up this idea of like they are basically pigeons trying to escape Harlem and music is kind of is kind of the thing that got them there and um, Vast Air kind of talks quite abstractly about using music to escape and like rising above the city like a pigeon whereas Vordel's really fucking paranoid talking about life in the ghetto and the horror of it and um, the whole thing is like quite classically LP It has that really long outro, which he does on a lot of his records that he produces. It's, it's like a really extended, letting that guitar bit play out, mm. and the
3: synths just kind of jam along to it. The guitar bit's good. I like the droniness of the song as well.
1: Yeah, it's a really open song towards the end and it feels as though the album should end here but then they have Scream Phoenix which I guess is kind of like the coda and they actually reference Pigeon in that that song. Bird as well. Yeah, yeah, totally. Because they say that that Pigeons become Phoenix basically is what they're kind of saying in that song. Um, The electric rats of the sky. Phoenixes. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But I think the, the cool thing about the way the record kind of resolved is is Vard eh, Omega and Vass are kind of talking about how they're a great team and they've been flying against the wind and they're not even shooting anymore. By the end of the record, they're not even machining their wires.
4: Taking chances in life, trying to get by, stop all the time, getting high, gotta clear mind and stay focused, avoid serpents and worship life. Be like merchants, street peasants, with these lessons. Live, building, pass away and keep stressing...
0: They've
1: transcended They've elevated the craft of hip-hop Which is a proper braggy thing That a lot of hip-hop artists do And I think it really works Also fucking love the Vangelis synths in the intro And the kind of vocal choral sample on it I think it really, really works But yeah, for me there's no fucking question about this album. It's one of the singularly most influential bits of hip hop music ever created, and it needs to be in a discography, particularly because it almost sold a hundred thousand fucking copies, which mm. is insane to me.
3: Yeah, I mean, I, I need to stay in my lane and just acknowledge that I've read enough about it, and I am aware of, I'm aware of its qualities uh, enough to acknowledge that it's definitely. A strong candidate. I, f- I first actually got into this record through my friend Robbie. Uh, who, Robbie didn't listen to a lot of hip hop, but he was a huge fan of this, and that's. I, I knew there was something special about it as as soon as he started trying to foist it upon me. Um, yeah, it's it's good. There's there's bits of it I really like, you know this music doesn't really connect to me very much so I, I tend to process it on a slightly more cerebral level but even on that level the production is really interesting i do like the fact that you use a lot of electronics I, I think that's actually not bad on
0: their second album as well um yeah I'm, I'm good with it uh yeah for me it has to go in i it's not a record i go back to a lot to listen to because it, like, maybe it is a bit cold but Um, And maybe I just don't get high enough Uh, Funnily enough I think it's exactly the same length As Lateralis by Tool Which came out in the same year And is equally uh, good to just Turn on in the background And play the N64 to
3: Do you know that if you play Lateralis And the Cold Vein Synchronised on two different CD players At the same time Yeah exactly they work perfectly You you split down the middle And uh, the electric rats of the sky Erupt (laughs) from your body
0: Um, But yeah I mean you can just You can hear it in pretty much every Hip hop record we've brought to the table I think it's LP's best Production and that's You know saying a lot considering what he's gone on to do Yeah I mean it's It's admirable it's maybe a little bit Long but I mean fuck it they didn't Release him for 15 years so (laughs) There's plenty you know that's fine That just counts as two albums as one in one So it's I'll I'll let it go Uh, Yeah great record Awesome and, and I like it's also interesting that like in terms of the production it does have that real instrumentation organic sound that all three of us click over and you know even on like Jay Della and like Mob Depp and like Mob Deep and sort of things like that a DJ Shadow that's, that seems to be what we like in hip hop a real drum we like a real fucking drum
1: <laughs> well thanks for humouring me gentlemen uh, go and vote
3: on our Facebook page Shall we do the Nexus? We should do the we should do the Nexus. And the the new Nexus music. How did that go down? Enjoyed. Nobody said anything about it, but I enjoyed it. I mean they're probably still recovering. Nexus. 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 Nexus.
0: Nexus. Nexus.
2: Nexus.
4: A complicated series of connections between different things.
3: <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> um. uh, this week's Nexus is Teddy Ruxpin, uh, courtesy of longtime sub, sometime talking head, and all time 80s legend Craig. Uh, <laughs> Mark, you're up.
1: Okay, LP produced the album. Right, we've talked about that. I, I hang on, hang on,
3: hang on, hang on. Let's just set the scene here. For anyone who doesn't know, Teddy Ruxpin was a toy from, certainly from the period of my childhood, probably not you guys. Yeah, I didn't know who the fuck... I- Apparently they were still making it into the late t- 2010s. Now, this is like four iterations. It's basically like a talking creepy bear um, that you actually you put... A in his- player. Well, it was—it wasn't cassettes. It was like cartridges, and that was kind of part of the genius of it. Because you had to buy the cartridges if you wanted to change the thing. It was in multiple languages. It sold a fuck ton. It was a really, really big toy. It was creepy as shit. The guy who did the animatronics in the face of it, uh, his next job was doing Chucky and Child's Play. So that gives you some <laughs> idea of uh, of what it's like. But yeah, sorry. Just think, just for all the people, you know, I'm taking it for granted that people know what the fuck that is. They, they probably don't. Okay, uh, I've managed to keep it completely musical. So LP produced this
1: album uh, In 2015 He's in, oh, sorry, he's part of Run The Jewels As we've spoken about before In 2015 Run The Jewels Released a remix Of Run The Jewels 2 Called Meow The Jewels Where every single instrument Was replaced mm-hmm. by cat
4: meows. I'm, I'm putting pistols And faces At random places Like up stand adjacent to Satan.
1: And remixed by Loads of different people Snoop Dogg actually appears In the very first The very start of the first song With a sample (laughs) Talking about How fucking stupid The idea is (laughs) Uh, Snoop Dogg as we know He found fame Through releases In Death Row Records In the 90s Way out in LA um, One of the One of the Sort of Forefathers of gangster rap
0: I was actually watching A pirated stream Of football Like Premier League football About three weeks ago And Snoop Dogg Is also It does About eight other adverts in America whoever, they, he must have just said oh, right, fuck it, yes to all these advertising contracts they've all done it at the same time so i offered offer them about 10 million quid and then now what has happened is every single brand in America is advertised by <laughs> Snoop Dogg and I bet you every single executive has gone, oh, fuck I can't believe we offered all that money without the uh, you know, without the exclusionary um, <laughs> part of the contract but um yeah, he's uh, he's definitely the man most on TV in America right now.
1: Uh, Death Row Records went bought in two thousand and eight. It was then purchased via auction by Wide Awake Records and eight, for eighteen million dollars. And then subsequently in two thousand and twelve, it was bought by the Entertainment One Group. They were later purchased by uh, ha- Hasbro in twenty nineteen. Uh, mm. So Hasbro owns Death Row Records. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <We're> just <laughs> wow, that's wild. I just that wanted is to wild. just
1: get that fact in there Because I think it's hilarious um, Hasbro owns PlaySkill Toys <laughs> So the company that owns PlaySkill Toys And power, and does a lot of the merchandise For things that Power Rangers and all that Also owns Death Row Records And uh, from 1991 to 1996 They produced the Teddy
0: Ruxpin Bear Yeah, good work um, all right, Cannibal Ox, uh, they were um, obviously on Definitive Jux, uh, the label ran by LP. Also on that label, RJD2, um, who I we might cover at some point, I reckon. Yeah, really, really, really good uh, producer. Um, in 2002, produced a remix of Butterfly Caught, uh, the Massive Attack song, which is a, actually a really good fucking track. Um, Massive Attack. Um, They have collaborated on a few things, including a sort of uh, a festival and a live event, and also just appeared on the score for several Adam Curtis documentaries, uh, including 2016's hyper-normalization. One of the threads throughout hyper-normalization described the Reagan administration using Muammar Gaddafi as a pawn in their sort of PR strategy, and, um, you know, he was a good guy, then he was a bad guy, and blah, blah, blah. Uh, Ronald Reagan, he himself was President of the United States from 1981 till 1989. And in 1984, he opened in a White House ceremony the uh, National Center for Missing and Exploited Children, which is a private, non profit organization uh, established to basically go after missing, exploited, abused children, um, which I'll came about after a sort of series of notable child abductions in the early 80s and they didn't really have a specific force for it. And in 1985, shortly after his debut um, in the world of toys, Teddy Ruxpin was dubbed the official spokesbear for the National Centre for Missing and Exploited Children. <laughs> <laughs> I should
3: probably, probably publish a correction here. Actually, as it turns out, Teddy, Teddy Ruxpin isn't a bear. Teddy Ruxpin was an iliop
0: from Oh, a creature that looks like a bear.
3: A creature that looks like a bear from the planet Grundy? Grindle, I think? So, like, no, n- none of us are going to mention Lord of the Rings, and actually, the Teddy Ruxpin concept, the people that picked it up were like, it needs, like, a backstory, and so they got deep into Lord of the Rings, and were like, we need to create a whole fantasy world behind it, and this is why they ended up with a, a cartoon in the 80s, like, a reasonably successful cartoon, had, like, 60-odd episodes and stuff. Anyway... Cannibal Ox, uh, we mentioned the song Gotham in the Gotham EP, which was later re-released as a a, a feature-length LP uh, featuring loads of other bits and bobs. Um, Gotham is obviously most commonly associated with Batman, thanks to uh, Batman writer uh, Bill Finger. Um, But it actually originates... uh, Oh, by the way, Gotham City in the Batman comics, did you know it's, it's set in New Jersey? What's that? Gotham City, and I think it was in the 70s, the, there was a comic released which kind of placed it in the lore as being in New Jersey. But the name actually originates in, informally, albeit uh, from the very early 1800s, and it, it appeared. I think the first appearance, like traceable appearance of it, is uh, an 1807 edition of Salma Gundy a periodical that was published in the states for about 20 editions between 1807 and 1808 Uh, it was satirical and one of the main people behind it was the writer washington irving um the person behind sleepy hollow and rip van winkle um he used the name gotham to refer to new york uh, and apparently that's because he took it from the village of Gotham in Nottinghamshire in England uh, because according to folklore Gotham in Nottinghamshire is quote a place inhabited by fools. <laughs> 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 so he was having a bit of a distant New York. Uh, Salma Gundy, uh, as I said, 20 editions. The, the, the alternative title of it was The Whim and Opinions of Lancelot Langstaff Esquire and Others. Uh, and there was a bunch of pseudonyms that writers used, including Will Wizard, Pindar Cockloft, and Mustafa Rubadub Kellycan. They actually, in uh, 1965, launched Salma Gundy magazine, which was nothing to do with the original, but it was named in honour of it. Uh, and that magazine featured loads of famous writers, people like Susan Sontag, Seamus Heaney wrote for it on multiple occasions, oh, wow. J.M. Coetzee wrote for oh, it, wow. uh, Chris Hitchens wrote for it. Well. and <laughs> um, in, a, in a 2000... I mean, loads and loads more as well. Uh, in a 2010 article in Vanity Fair, Christopher Hitchens actually did an article... On something that's quite uh, relevant to us guys, uh, the prevalence of the word like in <laughs> common parlance uh, oh, damn it. as a filler word. Uh, seen. I have seen. Chris had her <laughs> number, yeah. He uh, he referred to it in that article uh, quite eruditely, as you can expect, as a sign of inarticulate speakers or the mildly authoritarian who want to make themselves uninterruptible. It's probably pretty accurate. Um, and he. In that article, goes into like some of the earliest uses of like for for that purpose, including uh, Clockwork Orange, where it appears where the drugs use it. Scooby Doo of all things, mm-hmm. uh, if you you can imagine Shaggy saying it. Um, and he also uh, points out that whilst it was renowned, one of the one of the uses of it that cemented it was the song Valley Girl uh, by Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention. There's a there's a bit in it like like totally. Frank Zappa uh, did one semester of schooling at a place called uh, Chaffee College in California. Uh, this harks back to your talk about the water pistols and the police and the broken windows, Mark. In 1987, a sheriff's deputy shot to death uh, a young man called Joseph Falcon. He was 19 at Chaffee College uh, after the janitor had given Joseph and his three friends permission to play laser tag in the school building. Um, Laser Tag it was you know released developed released by a group called World of Wonder WW which was actually set up by the former Atari boss Uh, they also are the people that brought the uh, Nintendo entertainment system to the world I tried to Um, go that route I tried to do the the NES yeah and one of their other big big success stories was teddy ruxpin which was the biggest selling toy of uh, the year of its release and actually was used as leverage to make sure that companies picked up in the nes because there'd been a you know a computer games crash people had no faith in the selling power of computer games uh, and so world of wonder said sell the NES, or we're not going to let you stock teddy ruxpin and so loads of shops relented and then the NES went on to be absolutely fucking huge there you go great work thanks chris
1: do you know why the computer game? Well, one of the things that was like the final nail in the coffin for the for computer games in 1983 when that crash happens. Have you heard the story about ET the computer game?
0: ET and the Atari and the, the like the hundred thousand buried somewhere in the Arizona desert or something. Yeah, so there was a podcast
1: a couple of years ago and they did actually go and they are there. Yeah, was <laughs> actually brilliant. true. There's a documentary of it as well. <laughs> amazing, amazing.
0: I uh, just while you were uh, doing that, I found illyop dot Chris <laughs> uh, I've sent it to the group We'll maybe share it When this episode goes out It's just got a, It's a, Iliop.org Is dedicated to the one Unique species of bear Called an Iliop <laughs> And while factual information About Iliops Is hard to come by It's our goal To try and do our best To improve that and then it's got one image and it's a really sad looking area up. Because, and then it says Ken Force September 17th 1936 to March 20th uh, 2014 because he was the creator of Teddy Ruxpin. pin that's right um, so uh, yeah some buzz that website <laughs> and it also it looks like it's done on HTML in 1997 that's
3: kind of beautiful that's one of the best things about it
0: yeah it's ideal uh, Dave uh, you are up next week yeah I'm not messing around I'm doing fucking Fear Factory alright <laughs>
3: And the only the only question is which one are we going to do? Demanufacture
0: or obsolete? Yep. I still don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm probably going to do demanufacture. I'm just going to do de- demanufacture. Cause... Are you sure you don't want to drop this on us next week and that will be part of the the the, the tension? Uh, maybe. I mean, it's. Uh, They're both unsung in. uh, uh, We're doing Fear Factory, all right? We're doing Fear Factory. I've done that before. Remember, I changed. it will be one of those two records. I changed Trail of
3: Dead at the last minute, if you recall.
1: How have they released an album this year and why? (laughs) That's what I want to hear. It's
0: genuinely not. Well, the album's out next week, I think, but it's actually pretty decent. More to the point. What are we going to Nexus. Pure Factory 2, it's
3: my choice. They've got an album called G-Nexus. <laughs> yeah, yeah. you're going to love this. Uh, my choice in in the tub was Baby Hitler. Baby Hitler.
0: Baby Hitler.
3: Specifically Baby Hitler, not... Baby Hitler. Baby Hitler. Not just Hitler, <laughs> Baby Hitler. All right, there's the extra challenge. Okay.
0: So how, how young is that, like Hitler before the age of two?
3: Well, you know, the Baby Hitler meme is like so fucking prevalent I mean there's loads of films there's loads of books where they you know the baby Hitler yeah. thing is referenced so
0: yeah but I'm going to take it literally and try and connect it to Hitler <laughs> as a baby like eight, <laughs> age 24 months or younger <laughs> okay so we agree on that two years that two his years t- is like baby into infant his, his wet nurse was Velma
3: Seabell <laughs> 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 thank you very much
1: for listening folks uh, go and vote on our Facebook page join us next week for If your Factory album question mark it's
3: been a pleasure <laughs> that's how Mark rolls he cracks the beers open right at the end of recording